Welcome back to Careers Explained. This week, we talk with Kim Miller, who is a recruitment manager at Teach for America, and she describes her experience as a teacher with the company, including an overview of what Teach for America is, what drew her to it, what she liked and what was challenging about the role, the application process, the learning curve for her, a typical schedule of a teacher, and advice. And as always, you can leave feedback and let us know about what jobs or companies you want to hear about next. Welcome, Kim, and thanks for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me, Heidi. I'm excited to be here. Before we get into your current role, which I'm excited to talk about, can you tell us about yourself and your education? For sure. Um, so my name is Kim Miller. Currently, I am local to the Greensboro area. Um, I am obviously a recruitment manager for Teach for America. I am originally from Ohio. I studied public administration with a um, concentration in nonprofit studies when I was an undergrad. And I also have a graduate degree from UNC Chapel Hill in professional school counseling. And can you talk a little bit about your career path from college, kind of senior year and undergrad to how you got to where you are now? Yeah, for sure. So um, senior year, so just a little context for when I was in undergrad at Ohio State, I probably changed my major like six or seven times. I was really oh. pretty. Yeah, I know that's like kind of that's like a record. Go you. Yeah. <laughs> Thought I was going to be a nurse, thought I was going to own my own business. <laughs> I was really excited about a lot of different things. But the only thing I really knew when I graduated was that my joy and my my energy really came from service. And so when I graduated from Ohio State, when I was the senior, I said, you know, I think I'm going to apply to Teach for America and I'm going to apply to um, Peace Corps because I know that both of them are pretty service oriented. And I also had started doing some um, beginning work as a tutor for Somali refugees in Columbus, Ohio, which little known fact, there's a ton of Somali refugees in Columbus. Um, so I was teaching English there and I said, I'm going to apply for both of these. I didn't get into Teach for America the first time I applied, uh, but I did get into Peace Corps. So that made my decision very, very easy. And so I moved to Western Africa and I taught math and science in Liberia for um a little bit of time. It wasn't even quite a year because of the Ebola pandemic. And so I was evacuated along with my other fellow volunteers. And I moved in with my sister in North Carolina. I knew I wanted to be a teacher. So I applied for Teach for America and I got in this time. Um, so yeah, that's like how I ended up in North Carolina. And then I taught, um, obviously with Teach for America for the two years, I ended up staying an additional year and a half as a special education teacher in Kinston, which is pretty rural um, area, but it's also a very segregated school district. So I taught at the all black school in Kinston. Um, and I loved my community. I loved being there. Um, but I realized like about, I had a student with um, ODD, which is oppositional defiant disorder. And he really just was lacking a ton of uh, social emotional resources. And so I decided I wanted to go back to school and become a school counselor. So I applied to UNC. It was a 14 month program. I did that um, and was a school counselor, special populations coordinator in the Triangle area, which is like Wake Forest, um, like Raleigh, Durham area. And then my husband and I moved over here and 
uh, I saw that Teach for America had an opening and I just said, gosh, you know, like Teach for America really changed the whole trajectory of my career. And I do like firmly believe in the mission and the vision of the organization. So I said, you know, I'm going to apply and see if I get in. I Here I am. Awesome. And when you say that you knew you wanted to be a teacher, can you talk about how you were confident in that? Yeah, um, I think I knew I wanted to be a teacher because when I knew I really enjoyed tutoring and working with people, I'm definitely identified as an extrovert. And so I get my energy from working with people. And so um, in college, like I said before, you know, I worked a lot. I also volunteered pretty heavily with Habitat for Humanity. Um, and I worked as a tutor. And then when I was in the Peace Corps, I really enjoyed the idea of being a teacher and like working in a community because teaching is so much more than just like teaching someone how to do the quadratic formula. Like you want to teach them, you know, it's a lot of like social emotional learning. It's a lot of academic learning and it's building relationships. And I feel like that was where I really thrived. And so I knew that that's where I really wanted to be. I love the fulfilling feeling of watching a kid learn something, like learn a new social skill, learn a new academic skill, or like just kind of reflecting on my relationship with them and how it had grown over the past, you know, however long I had known them. So that's kind of how I knew that I wanted to do teaching. Yeah, having that meaning every day in your life and especially over time, I think you're lucky that you learned early. That was something important to you because I've heard stories about people who get into certain roles, maybe focused on a salary, which is really common, and then they realize that they're lacking that meaning. So the fact that you were able to realize in college that that was important to you and have almost every role, it sounds like from then on, have Mm. that is really special starting at a young age. And so when you started at Teach for America, can you first give an overview of what Teach for America is to people who might not know? Um, So Teach for America is a leadership development nonprofit organization. And really, we are focused on ending educational inequity. Like when we look at our current system in the United States, like it's just totally not meeting the needs of a large population of our students. And so I like to tell this statistic a lot of times to really illustrate like the brokenness of the system. So when we look at ACT scores, like a 17 is considered proficient in college and career ready when you take the ACT. So when we look at students in those low income designation schools, about 22% are considered in that proficient range. When we look at students who are not in that low income designation, we're looking at about 66% proficiency, which is, and that's, that's from 2018. It is, you know, a little bit old, but like also at the same time, it's not going to change that much. Three times the, you know, three times more likely to be considered college and career ready. And so like education really should be the great equalizer of our time. So what Teach for America is aiming to do is end educational inequity and make sure all kids have access to an excellent education. So programmatically, like we place young people who are interested in doing equity work in the classroom um, for two years in a low income community. And you serve as a teacher from K through 12. We've got 38 different regions across the United States. And it's really an amazing time for you to be in the classroom. Like you can see your students grow in that social, emotional, 
way as well as academics and you're making that net positive change for your students but you can also see that like it's really a great time for you I know when I was in the classroom I really got to engage in um engage in a lot of networking opportunities leadership coaching and development and just talking to other really like engaging my network. And so I was able to decide after I finished my two years, I knew I wanted to stay an additional year and a half because I wanted to see my kids graduate. Um, Mm -hmm. But other people in my cohort, for instance, they decided, you know, teaching is not where my passion like totally lies, but I know I want to do equity work. So they pivot into a different sector because we know Like we need equity-minded lawyers. We need equity-minded physicians. We need equity-minded people in all different sectors because educational inequity is like a really systemic issue. Those same kids that don't have access to excellent education are the same kids that don't have access to excellent healthcare or affordable housing, or they might live in a food desert. So we've got 61,000 alumni just doing awesome things in different sectors. And it's really a powerful network of people that are really making that net positive change in the equity sphere. Mm-hmm. And so when you went into Teach for America, can you talk about the process of from being interested to getting accepted and then what happens next until you're in that classroom? Yeah. Um. So the application process has changed a little bit since I applied. So I'll talk about it more from like the current process. Um, So you, we have three different deadlines this, um, this year. So you just check on the teach for America website and you can see the deadlines. Our next one is like in October, October 21st. And so our application is pretty simple. Um, you, it, consists of three different parts. So it's an online application. You go to the website and fill this out. It's demographic questions. So like, who are you? Where are you from? Where do you live? What's your address type deal? And then the second part is your resume. Um, So many college kids nowadays, y'all have LinkedIn, y'all have resumes that just doing amazing things. So you just submit whatever resume you have. And then you, in the third part, we have two short response questions. Um, And so the first one is talking about it asks you, why do you want to join Teach for America? So usually when I'm talking to people, um, you know, just telling them, why are you excited about doing equity work? And like, what do you think your experience in the classroom is going to, how do you think that will propel your future career in blank, regardless if you want to stay in education or if you want to move into a completely different sector? Um, and then the other short answer question is, um, talk about your greatest achievement. And so honestly, like the schools I work at, those two essay questions have been the same since I applied. So I think that it just shows the power of like Teach for America really wants people who are focused and have a really strong why, as well as people who are focused on making meaningful change. That's why they ask you about that meaningful accomplishment. So once you apply, you have about a 10 day turnaround before you know if you have been invited to interview. So the interview process is now back in the day, it was not virtual. It was, you know, everybody went to one centralized location. It was probably six or seven of us interviewing in a group style interview. Now it's totally virtual with the onset of the pandemic, and um, it is one interviewee to one to two interviewers. So the interview is 90 minutes, and um, the first section is obviously like introductions, and then you move into doing a sample teaching lesson. Um, The sample teaching lesson is five minutes. 
it's a hard five minutes. You teach whatever, you know, it's a like very strict five minutes. You can't go over um, the five minutes and you teach to your um, your interviewers. And after you finish that, then you have an opportunity to reflect and then you'll move into a case study discussion. So you'll get pre-reading before your interview and you're able to talk about that reading and talk about different data that's presented in the reading. And then your interviewers will ask you a couple questions about what you would do to improve the data. So then looking at the final part, it's a regular schmegular interview, like talk about a time where you've had conflict in the workplace, those <laughs> types of deals. Um, so it's a 90 minute interview. And then after your interview, you are you have an opportunity to finalize your selection of regions you want to work in. Um, and so you'll also at that point upload your transcript. And so our admissions team does a really good job at looking at what classes you've taken because majority of the people who apply for Teach for America are not education majors. And so our admissions team painstakingly looks through all your transcripts to just see, you know, what you're qualified to teach in the regions that we have available. And then you're able to, from that list, kind of select what interests you the most. And then after that, you're offered a job and you're able to, you know, um, confirm your offer and you move to the, you transition over to the region um, and start your process as a Teach for America core member. Thank you for that overview. That was really yeah. helpful to understand what it looks like. And it kind of sounds like you get the harder part of the interview over first with the case studies and the data analysis a little bit, and then sure. the typical behavioral questions. And so once you move to your new location and become a core member, what does that look like from training to then the licensing you need? Yeah. Um, so training and licensure, because we do have 38 different regions, they're also placed in many different states. And so um, training and licensure does depend on the state that you're located in. Um, but I can give you kind of like a broad overview. So um, before when you get your job offer, there will be a break between your job offer and when you actually start your summer training in the summer before you enter the classroom. So for instance, our incoming core for the 2023-2024 school year is going to start their summer training in June of 2023. So we might have people who have been offered jobs in October and December of this year. And so they've got kind of a break. Well, our regional teams do a really great job at engaging our incoming core with pre-reading and different activities they can do to prepare themselves, as well as materials in order to study for whatever license licensure exams they need to take in order to be fully considered a qualified incoming teacher into whatever region they're in. Um, so that all happens before your June, um, your June start date of training. So then you'll move into your region and you'll do um, your pre your pre service um, training is what we now call it. it. Used to be called Institute back in the day when I um, when I was a core member and I did mine in Mississippi and um, <laughs> I taught in Eastern North Carolina. So it we've definitely made a ton of really great advancements. Like the kids in Mississippi are very different from rural North Carolina, but. Now you're teaching pretty much in the region that you'll be placed in and you'll teach summer school. So during your summer training, you are learning the nuts and bolts of how to be a good teacher, how to develop rigorous lesson plans, and also how to measure your students' progress, how to set up a positive classroom environment for your students. 
and you get an opportunity to actually put those theoretical theories that you're learning and practices into actual like tangible practice with actual students during summer school and you get lots of feedback there's a lot of people who give you observations and you're able to you know really like hone your craft as a teacher especially if you're not familiar um with working with kids or with teaching as in general there's also another really important part of pre-service which is our um racial equity training um diversity equity and inclusion and so that is a really heavy part of what we do at teach for america because when we're being realistic about educational inequity and who is in these low-income schools we're talking about black and brown students and so while our core is very diverse, we have over 50% students, 50% of our core, incoming core members identify as a person of color. Um, we still think that that is a really important part of going into these schools because you want to come in and be able to be an actual true anti-racist educator, um, especially because the predominant um, identity that comprises our educators right now is white women. And so we want to make sure that we're equipping people with um, the the ability and the space to reflect on their own identity development before they enter the classroom. Um, so then when you're in the classroom, like we don't just drop you and say, okay, see you later. Like we pair you with um, a teacher coach that's with you for your entire two years that you're in the classroom. So they're able to be there and support you whenever you need it. Um, I know that my teacher coach told me he was going to come once every month to give me an observation. I said, that is not enough. So he came and saw me once every two weeks. Um, he was really great. Shout out to Dave. And he um, really helped support me in terms of like how to, with behavior management in my class, as well as how to navigate the actual community that I was living in um, and the school community, because that was something that was sometimes difficult for me because I wasn't from the area and he had lived there for a few years. So you definitely have that support while you're inside the classroom, as well as like your other cohort members, like you're placed at, most often we have people who are placed at schools with other, co with other core members. And so you're able to kind of rely on them or maybe not core members, but alumni of the program. I love how many resources there are for help and support throughout the entire process of becoming a new hire to then even when you're two years in, you still have a very supportive safety net of coworkers, mentors. So you're really not alone, even though you are a recent grad, you have so much support to mm -hmm. acclimate. And for you, what was the learning curve like when you started to become a teacher? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I So I came in to the special education position with not a ton of experience with writing, you know, special education documents, but I knew that I was excited about actually making a positive difference in these kids' lives. And so the learning curve was steep. Like I, it was a lot of really hard work. I would come home and do my lesson plan for the next day, grade anything, um, write it down in my data notebooks. I was really trying to make sure that I was implementing the programs that I was giving these students to track their progress towards their special education goals. Um, I really wanted to make sure I was doing a good job. And so I spent a lot of time and a lot of hard work doing that. And I wasn't perfect 
by any means my first year or second year or my seventh year that I was in education, but (laughs) it, you know, it's definitely a learning curve. And I think the other really good part about being with Teach for America is like, you are a core member. So you have the added support, but also more importantly, in my opinion, is that you are a full-time school employee. So you have the support of other people in the school. And I know that my learning curve was, I grew a lot quicker when I relied on people who were veteran teachers in the school. Like there's a reason why somebody has taught in a school for 10, 15 years. And so me relying on, or not even relying, but asking for the expertise of people that were in the community, I think really helped me with my professional growth. I think that's great advice for anyone going into really any new roles is don't be afraid to ask for help because everybody starts off from a position of not knowing the ropes. That's how you begin anything. And so I also think people in the roles who have been there for long and have that wisdom are probably very happy to share it and help you and the students that you're helping. So thank you for that advice. And what did a typical day or week look like? Could you give us a sense of your schedule as a teacher? Yeah. Um, so being a teacher is super busy. Um, I used to get to our school day started at 725. So I would get to school around 630 to 645 and make my copies for the day, make sure that my room was clean and everything was set up for my lessons for the day. Um, and then welcome students into school at 725. Most often I had first period planning. So I would do breakfast duty where I would sort of circulate around the cafeteria and greet students and, you know, say good morning and make sure that they were behaving themselves and just eating breakfast. And so, um, you know, once classes started, I um, co-taught classes and I also had my own resource classes. So special education teachers, um, sometimes when they work with upper level students, like more high functioning students, um, they don't have the uh, separate setting classes. They So I did something called co-teaching. Co-teaching is where I followed a group of students who were on my caseload into a regular education or a general education class and just gave them support that their special education plan dictated. Um, So that was a really helpful experience for me because I got to kind of see different teaching styles and I, it's always nice to be in for there to be two adults in a room full of kids. And so um, that really, I think, helped me grow a lot. But so I would do, that was one type of class that I did. And then another type of class that I did was called our resource classes. And so um, resource classes were opportunities where special education students would be able to come to me and get help on any work that they needed help with. Um, And we also would work towards whatever their special education plan goals were. So a lot of times students who are in special education courses or under that special ed classification are um, considered or they have goals because they're lacking in certain um, basic skills that are causing them to not be able to move up um, and access grade level content. And so um, 
our us as special ed teachers really have to make targeted goals to help them you see where their deficits are so we can actually help them grow closer to being able to access that grade level content so that's what those classes did um and then i would have like lunch time obviously in the middle of the day at some point and i always had a planning period um so during planning period i would try to do planning most often times i spent a lot of time fellowshipping with other teachers. <laughs> I wasn't super productive during my planning sometimes. Um, <laughs> I had um I I had special education plan meetings with parents. Um so I would do that a lot of times uh during my planning as well. And then after school you have um team meetings or you have um you know, like coaching opportunities. So I know that I was involved in after school clubs um, for different, for different like programs. And then you get to go home and grade and finish whatever you didn't get to do that day and come back and rinse and repeat. So it's a really busy schedule, but it is super rewarding. Specialized in a lot of areas, right? Because it wasn't just one class you were helping with Mm -hmm. everything as well as those overarching goals of social skills that might not be necessarily written into the curriculum, but are really important to have in order to succeed. And so what did you like about that role? Um, I really liked it because I am what I would identify as a risk taker. I love being able to have freedom to work with students and I love being like a problem solver. So if a student, you're working with them and they don't understand the way that you did it the first time, you just try some some way totally different and it's okay. And you, I always told students like, one thing I'm never going to do is give up, but I'm probably going to fail explaining it to you once at one point. And you just have to be honest with me and tell me if you got it or if you didn't. And so mm-hmm. um, I think being a special education teacher really gives you the freedom to be able to talk about social skills, you know, when you should be talking about math, because social skills are super important. But also it gives you the creativity to be like, oh, he didn't get it when I talked to it, talk to him about it this way, or when I explained it this way. So I'm going to pull out manipulatives, or I'm going to pull up this website or like a YouTube video I saw that was super helpful. I think another reason why I was like a successful special education teacher was because I did oftentimes do co-teaching in upper level math courses. And I had to watch YouTube videos the night before to teach myself. Like I forgot how to do limits and how to do different things. And so I would have to watch a video and then I'd be like, oh, I watched this video and this was really helpful. And being transparent with kids, I think makes them realize that like, oh, she's a human. Like, you know, we want to make sure, you know, it's more relatable. And so they're more willing to like be open-minded to learn something. Right. And part of learning is being vulnerable. If you, like we talked about earlier with, you should be open to asking for help. Same thing Mm -hmm. goes for the students that you're trying to help is if you pretend like, you know, something, which I do think there is pressure depending on the teacher. If someone isn't as open to you and committed to helping and trying different ways, like your students were really lucky that they had someone who was willing to explain something in 10 different ways if the first nine ways didn't work because everybody learns differently. And I love that you yourself are so open about how you had to learn the concepts and it wasn't necessarily easy for you, but that makes you better able to teach it. And so that I would assume would be one of the challenges is trying to 
relearn some of that hard math, but what were some other challenges? Um, a really big challenge I had was um, a lot of Teach for America had been at the school I was at for a while. And so the veteran teachers who were not affiliated with Teach for America were, um, they were not as excited about having core members there because of the constant turnaround of teachers. And they felt like having core members there made their job more difficult. Um, so basically when they saw that someone was a core member, they would say like the over the overall attitude, at least in my the special ed department was, okay, well, you know, they're only going to be here for two years. And so it was really difficult for me being in that type of environment when I needed help and I needed assistance from these women who had been special ed teachers for like 15 years. And I said, gosh, I really wish they would see me as someone that needed help and someone who was valuable to pour into. But what I did was I just showed up every single day. I did my job. Um, I made sure to be super respectful around them and ask them questions um, and not just pop up in their office. I would ask, you know, is now a good time for me to chat or you know, I'd really love to learn more about like your experience with this. And I treaded lightly around them, but I continued to show up to for my students every day. And Miss Poole and Miss Bridgen were, they made me cry a couple of times while I was working there. But after a while, they saw that I was there consistently and that I was really willing to learn. And I wanted to know how to do the job well. And I wanted to serve my students in the way they deserve to be served. And so after probably the first semester into the middle of my second semester, they started being a little more open towards me. Um, and now we're super close. Like I got married last year and Miss Poole drove from Kinston, North Carolina, all the way to Asheville, which is like a four hour drive to watch me and my husband get married. And I, you know, I think that just really speaks to like the testament of you know, show up every day, regardless of what job you're in, if you're in Teach for America or if you're in something else, show up every day and like people will respect the work ethic, work ethic. They see, they respect the hustle that you have every day. So I think that's great advice. And what a special story that you overcame that because that I assume is common in a lot of jobs that mm -hmm. when new people come in, it is more work for veterans of the company, but you can't control that you can only control how hard you work and you shouldn't have to earn the respect to get help but right. that is what you can control and so for someone in that position knowing that usually you can win someone over if you just keep showing up I yeah. think is great advice and what is the social scene like at Teach for America um social scene was really fun I um I'm still very close with two people in particular from my core. Um, Christine and Marissa are like still my best friends. We met when we were in the core. Like Marissa got married two weeks ago and I went to her wedding. Christine was the best or the best woman, the uh, maid of honor. That's like it. Um, <laughs> she was the maid of honor. Yeah, she was the maid of honor at my wedding. And like <laughs> um, Marissa and I, you know, our husbands now are like really good friends. Um, we've stayed in contact all these years. And so the social scene is awesome. Like you're going through a shared experience with a bunch of other people who are like-minded people to you. Um, everybody who joins Teach for America is 
a leader and is someone who's interested in doing equity work. And so I think it's really a natural place for you to make connections. Also Teach for America, like a big part of it is leveraging your network. And so they really, really give you lots of opportunities to be able to network with people, meet people who are into um, or who have similar career interests to you or you know, people who are in similar core member placements that you are. So they give you lots of opportunities to work with and meet other people. Um, I do think that my social life was lacking my first year because I did not have a lot of professional boundaries. I would come home from school and be like, oh my gosh, I have to, I'm only going to do one hour of things outside of schoolwork. Um, the rest of the time I I can still work on school stuff. And that was totally opposite. So I, then my second year switched the ratios. And so it was one hour of school stuff outside of school hours. And then the rest of it, whatever didn't get done, um, that night got done the next day. And so, or whenever it got done. And so, um, (laughs) that definitely helped me. And I think that's something that I can take into my, um, job here at teach for America. Another thing that I really like about it too is like there is a huge emphasis on um, diversity, equity, and inclusion here. Like even as a staff member, like not in the core, um, Mm -hmm. we have time every two weeks on our calendar to engage in DEI work with our fellow staff members. And so I like the overall community aspect of Teach for America and how committed they are to like their mission and vision. Totally. Really showing up with those values, not just in the mission statement, but in your everyday practice and as a teacher and as a recruitment manager, really Mm -hmm. living those values. That's great to hear. And you mentioned this a little bit with the networking, but can you elaborate on opportunities for moving up? Yeah. um, So a lot of people who are on staff at Teach for America have served in the core in some capacity. So they did the two years in the classroom. It's not a requirement, but it is something that definitely gives you a unique perspective as to how you move about the organization and why the work is important. Um, I know that on my team of 10 people, I think two people did not do the core and one of them has never, one of them has not taught the other one did teach. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's pretty, it's pretty large ratio of people who did do the core. Um, So that is a good way to get your foot in the door. And especially if you join the core and you're able to really make moves and make progress in your classroom, um, it gets noticed by people in the organization. Mm -hmm. And so you'll be, you know, you'll be in mind when people are looking for openings in different capacities in the organization. Um, As far as like moving up once you're in the organization, Teach for America does a really great job at setting goals and giving you opportunities to reflect. And if you meet your goals, um, they're very fair in making sure that you're, you know, rewarded for meeting those goals in terms of either a promotion, a raise, or some sort of acknowledgement for achieving what they want you to achieve. That's awesome. And when you talk about kind of getting noticed for your work in the classroom, Mm -hmm. how is performance measured for a teacher? Yeah. Um, so that's a difficult question. I can speak more from the North Carolina, um, state of, you know, being a teacher here, but 
we use a program called Nesis, Um, and I don't even know what that stands for. I remember a principal told me like, whenever you use Nesis, you need a Rhesus because it was really, it was a really crazy system. Um, but it's uh <laughs> North Carolina about eval- educator evaluation system. That actually might be it. And hey, first try. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, first try, I got it. Um, so it is basically you have different, um, different skills or you know different components of being a teacher and people will your administrators and fellow and peers will come in and give you observations and grade you on this rubric and so then that goes on to your um like educator permanent record per se and that's how Mm -hmm. you're evaluated as being a proficient teacher a distinguished teacher or not making sufficient progress and in those categories you would be in the not sufficient progress category you would be um put on like a development plan and things like that um it's pretty rare for um core members to be put on those types of professional development plans so interesting so the teacher gets graded I would yes really thought so but that totally makes sense you want to make sure that everyone's doing their best to make sure that the kids get good teaching and so Mm -hmm. what types of characteristics do you think are important for a teacher to succeed yeah um I think in order to be a good teacher you need to be innovative um because kids are really different you in school, even if you studied education or child development, you know, you're going to learn specific milestones that kids are supposed to achieve at certain times. And that's pretty much the only thing that's common between kids is like, you know, that, you know, those milestones, but personalities differ, their worldview and context just changes. And so that means that they interact and they respond to different things in different ways. And so, Sometimes, you know, a way you explain something to one child is going to really hit for one kid, but it won't for another. And so Mm -hmm. you need to be able to innovate and figure out what's going to resonate with this kid in order to make sure that this actually sticks with them. Um, So I think that's a really important aspect. And I think also having a multicultural world lens, um, because when we're looking at the nature of education, if we work in a high income school with predominantly white students, we still need to be able to be able to talk about race and ethnicity and those issues when you're in the classroom with those students. But you also on the same point need to be able to talk about it with, you know, the students that you work with in the lower income settings or in more diverse classes, because it is a huge reality of our current system. And I think that, you know, you're not going to be, we won't be able to make progress if we just pretend that it's not happening. Um, Also just organization. I really think like being a teacher, you got to be super organized and have great time management and be able to say no sometimes, which is something I still struggle to struggle with to this day. Such as blocking off your calendar yes, on a holiday. Such as blocking my calendar <laughs> for our holiday of Indigenous Peoples Day on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, that, that's always room for improvement there. So yes. you're, you can steadily improve. And so is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew back when you were applying for jobs out of college? Um, I wish that I... When I applied for jobs outside of college, I do think that I was looking for places that I would feel valued, but I think that I didn't really know what that meant. And so 
when you're looking for jobs, I think you need to really figure out what's the most important thing to you. Is location the most important? Is salary? Is your job title most important? Or is it like company values or what you're doing? Like figure out what what is important to you and figure out, you know, like where do your talents and where do your skills and passions all overlie? And then those are the types of jobs that you need to be applying to. I also think something that I really wish I had done when I was looking at jobs is look at like satisfaction surveys and look at, you know, talk to people who have done that job before because they're going to be honest with you and you want to know realistically, like, what does it look like to do this job? Um, so yeah, I think that is one thing I did when I got this job on staff at Teach for America was talk to people who were recruiters here. And I really learned a lot about what it actually means to be a recruiter. Um, and I think that really helped me make that decision. That's great advice. Talk to people, really be aware of what you're getting into. You still might love it, but you want to know for sure what you're getting yourself into before you commit to something as big as a job. Yes. And do you have any other advice for someone interested in Teacher America as a teacher or uh, we didn't get a chance to talk really about your job as a recruiter, but any general advice? Um, I would say that um, I would say that advice for getting into Teacher America, make sure that you are that you have a strong why you want to do equity work before you even apply. And also check out our Ignite Fellowship, which is a virtual tutoring fellowship that we're offering um, this semester and next year. Um, that deadline closes in December of 2022 um, for our for our spring um, our spring tutoring, and it's basically you get an opportunity to try your hand at teaching. And so you do virtual tutoring with students in K through eight in some of the schools that we actually have core members in. And to me, it's also a really good opportunity for you to do exactly what we were saying, like try it out and see if you like the organization as a whole. Um, and then if you're interested in like, you know, trying your hand at working in nonprofits like Teach for America, I would say just keep checking the website and try to connect with people who are already on the team. And even if it is just connect with them on LinkedIn and say like, hey, you know, I'd love to hear more about your job. Everyone at Teach for America is super nice. I've never met a mean person who works here and <laughs> they're able, I know I shouldn't, <laughs> you have to trust me. Um, And so, yeah, I haven't met anyone that's like unwilling to talk to somebody about job opportunities. So like connect with us on LinkedIn and check out, you know, the staff websites and see, you know, who has jobs that look like they're interesting to you. Again, such great advice. I'm really grateful for you sharing about your role and your experience and that advice. I think a lot of people will benefit from it. Thank you, Heidi. This has been awesome.